Risk Chats with a Firm. I'm your host, Paul Marshall. So we thought we'd get a little podcast together for you guys as uh, you may be at home right now and uh, brought Tal into our little studio and uh, we're going to talk about some of our favorite podcasts. Encourage you guys to go back and listen and uh, I think there'll be some things here that uh, you'll find interesting. So without further ado, let's do our podcast about podcasts. Hello and welcome to the podcast. Well, today we are kind of in the bunker here. It's Tal and I and we thought we'd uh, put a little podcast together for everybody to sort of kind of keep you company here and talk about some of the things that uh, we really have enjoyed about the podcast, things that uh, maybe we didn't enjoy too much and we want to do better. So, uh, But either way, hey, Tal, how are you doing over there? It's a good morning and... Uh... Our ERM risk chats have slid to a new level of low. We're now doing an ERM risk chat about ERM risk chats. That's right. It's a book about books. But actually, uh, yeah, we went back through our we – were like we're at 33 now, and we found a lot of interesting uh, tidbits that we actually want to encourage you guys to go back and listen and, uh, of course, to give us some more ideas of what you'd like to hear in the future. Um, so, yeah, we're just going to go over a few things here. I think we want to start off with some of our – just kind of generic, you know, things that we've enjoyed the most about doing this. And, and we'll just start with that. What do you think, Tal? Let's talk about a couple of things that we like about ERM Risk Chats. <laughs> and let's talk about a couple of things that we don't like about ERM Risk Chats. And I'll start out first by saying when we click the button on the ERM Risk Chats, one of the things I like is Paul's silky smooth baritone voice that <laughs> makes me feel like I'm going to have to pay $6 for a cup of coffee at a jazz club. <laughs> there you go. Hey, you know, when they've got Tal's stentorian voice over there, <laughs> keeping us in, you know, keeping us in line, too. I like that. But uh, in terms of things we like, I'll throw one on the table first. Is uh, We have some great rhetoric. We have uh, folks, when they come on board, and, and sometimes Paul and I, we get like 5 or 15 minutes before we actually start the wrist chat, and we just start talking. And the conversation is so fun. And uh, the euphemisms that come out and the phrases that come out from folks who have been in the workplace for, you know, 20, 30, 40, sometimes more years than that. Uh, it's, it's, just, it's just enjoyable to have the conversation. They're fun to talk with and uh, some of the stuff they say makes you giggle or chuckle and, uh, and it, it, because it's so, it rings so true to uh, our own experiences in the federal workplace and and business in general and people in general and I don't know, it's just it's just been a lot of fun that rhetoric and that those discussions uh, it's witty it's fun it's intelligible and when I'm done listening to these folks I feel like I feel like I've really gotten something from it and I'm smarter than when I walked into the room and that's something that I I appreciate yeah I, yeah definitely I mean I would say I started this thing off just to my learn more myself honestly i just like to learn something new every day if possible so you know i definitely i mean not a, every single podcast we've done i've definitely learned something it could be small it could be you know a breakthrough but i mean that's a great thing you know just learning something new from from people that have been doing this for a long time so i really enjoy that i mean it's something else i think is funny is just how a lot of the risk managers are you know some of them are very candid which is great 
some of them are, you know, watching their words because, you know, they're thinking about risk. Like you, I like one of our favorite things, I think, is our free-range bureaucrat. <laughs> the one the one who uh, has a relationship with the agency and is comfortable enough with where they're at and their program and the support of their leadership that uh, there's there's a very high level of candid comments that come out. They're, they're very frank on what's working and what's not working sometimes. Yeah. Uh we don't capture it all on the on the actual risk chat, but just the the openness and the willing to, uh, you know, be up to a point of, of vulnerability for the benefit of the listeners is is fantastic. I mean, there's everybody has a good story to tell, and it's great to hear about the good stories. But uh, like the old phrase is, uh, how do you get good judgment, experience, and how do you get experience? Bad judgment. <laughs> and, and so when they share with us the stuff that didn't work or the struggles uh, that a program has had, uh, the areas that uh, they want to do more with, sometimes that's the, uh, you know, that's the most beneficial thing to, to hear. Is I tried that or this isn't working so well and, and this, is, this is what we think might work better. It's, you know, those are good gifts when we can get those. Yeah, and it's just the nature. I mean, human nature is we, we only learn from making mistakes, right? I mean, it's not... Not until we do something wrong, we realize what we should have done right. And uh, I mean, it's kind of the nature of risk management in general. It's getting ready, you know, preparing yourself for for failures and disasters, right? I mean, it's and it, identifying areas where you ought to try something new uh, to gain something better than you have a more a more high risk appetite area. Yeah, uh, Paul, what's what's something you don't like <laughs> about ERM risk chats? All right, well, I I will be honest. It is a little bit of work for me, so <laughs> it's not really fun to. I mean, it's fun to sit down and have the risk chat itself, and everybody's talking, and have a good time, and then I got to go home and, you know, edit this stuff. How up. long does it take to edit a risk chat? You know, actually, it's a little shorter now because actually, this is an announcement. So now we are happily using SoundCloud, which we used to use YouTube video clips on the site, um, and it's really significantly going to reduce the amount of time it takes to do this. Because, I mean, with a video, even if it's just some still pictures. And you got to add a little jingling, a little intro. Eh, probably take a good, I mean, it's not a long time, but 30 minutes, which, hey, you know, it's 30 minutes I'm sitting here on the weekend. But I still like to do it. It's not a big deal, but it's not my favorite part of the process. And I think all podcasters say the same thing. That's that's the least fun part is all the editing and all that good yeah. stuff. But, but yeah, the SoundCloud thing's pretty cool. So, actually, we will now be able to pretty soon, you can download these on your phone just like uh, like a regular podcast. You don't have to go to the website anymore. You can go to iTunes. You can go to google play or whatever so that's pretty cool and and, you, and for folks who haven't uh done a podcast with us yet uh, when we come in it's a lot of times we go to the aga office paul yeah. has a little studio set up there so it's fairly central because he lives out uh in the boondocks of virginia oh is it north carolina <laughs> fairfax really uh, far away all right well i live in downtown dc so it seems <laughs> like a trip and he's got all the mics set up and he's got a laptop and and a little mixer there and uh and uh it's 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 quite a little looks like a little radio station uh, as I imagine it on watching TV or whatnot and uh, he's he's got all the equipment and uh, shout out to AGA for letting us to use mm -hmm. their central location as a studio we're up in the attic on the third floor and uh, it's just like it's just like a perfect little space. So how about you, Tal? Anything uh, you, you're not you don't enjoy as much? Um, probably the nine circles of Dante's hell. <laughs> Which is also known as the agency clearance process. Ah, yeah. And, uh, you know, I get it. I mean, everybody comes on a show, and the first thing we do is we tie their name to an agency or an organization. 
And there's always a reputation to be added there. So I, you know, there's always a risk that uh, that uh, folks uh, can can believe that. What if we have a podcast gone bad? Mm-hmm. And uh, and I get it. I mean, it, but it's it's hard. Not only is uh, it hard to, well, it, as an FYI for folks, when we do the podcast, Paul provides the edited version to the organization mm-hmm. so that they can. They can uh, look through it, and All right. So that that five second break, Paul just edited out six minutes of what I said. <laughs> so if we could edit out anything uh, to protect the agency, if the agency or the organization doesn't want you know something didn't feel something specifically uh, was uh, came out the way they wanted, we just cut it out. We've had that happen in the past. Oh yeah, yeah, and it's easy for me to edit stuff. I mean, I prefer not to because this is just more of a informal setting is just meant to be more of a fireside chat so to speak but uh, i understand you know sometimes we gotta just uh, err on the side of a uh, caution which is fine so yeah. we're all risk managers right and sometimes agencies have a hard such a hard time clearing that the uh, folks don't even get cleared to come on a pod on a risk chat yeah we've had a couple of those and i really hope i can get those guys on the podcast in the future and hopefully uh yeah, because there's some agencies that have really interesting stories I want to hopefully talk to at some point. And and because we have that editing offer, it's zero risk. That's you know, right. You don't like it, we cut it. That's right. Get your you get your money back. <laughs> um, so I think I thought that we kind of wanted to go through the both of us what some top you know what are our top three favorite podcasts were. And again, if you know no uh, no offense, we're not you know we're not going to go through every single one of the 33. Uh, you guys, please go back and check them out, and you can listen to them. But uh, we just want, th- thought we'd point out. You know, three for me, three for Tao that we just thought were really interesting and uh, kind of recap those today and pique you guys' interest. So maybe Tao can start us off. That's right. And while you're on your Corona vacation, if you need something to do, here's six to start with. All right. All right. Um, the Our HUD presentation, uh, number 18. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really enjoyed uh, this uh, wrist chat. The HUD had such a uh, it's it's a large agency, and it was uh, an interesting conversation because it, it's a program that connects other ERM programs. And uh, the leader that we had that came in, Larry Kiskanen, he had lots of great insights. Uh, I think one of his uh, one of the favorite uh, euphemisms that's stuck in my head ever since is is that. They're moving towards enterprise risk management. That's the program. What they don't do is enterprise list management. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and it every, seems like every agency that's, that's always, you know, when you're hitting the compliance side and you're getting, you're getting your registers put together before you get to a higher level maturity, that enterprise list management phrase just, it just really kind of st- struck home. But he had, he had so many great ones about, uh, building the programs together, uh, uh, this continuous uh, recruiting and uh, tying of leadership because, you know, in HUD there's lots of leaders that move in and out. And so as soon as you get success, now you have the, the next battle again to be successful again. Um, of, uh, of moving his staff around uh, within other pieces of the organization to, to help this cross-pollinate the uh, enterprise risk management thinking across different management levels by what he called marrying off his daughters. <laughs> so he'd get these high performance staff folks and he didn't try his, his strategy was to, you know, to when the opportunities come for them to move on to a different, uh, different piece of organization to, you know, 
push them out and bring in the next and uh, sort of build in, uh, building his uh, building the HUD program through the sort of uh, cross connections of marriage alliances. There you go. Yeah, and, and you know Larry's been a executive in different you know multi different roles. I think that really helped too. I mean he's he's been doing this for a long time, so he really understood what those other leaders needed to hear or understand the CFOs, the Chicos, the you know. All the executives, so yeah, all the CXOs. Yeah, well, and also, I mean, we had we've had I think four HUD podcasts. I mean, HUD, I mean, is really doing some work. Um, you know, Wendell Connor was actually our second podcast. That was really interesting. Um, because I was surprised that HUD had risk managers throughout the country. Basically, I mean, that's really on the vanguard. I mean, not a lot of places are doing that. Yeah, it, HUD is such a financial organization. I, I think as we've seen throughout most of our podcasts, those agencies or organizations that have financial background. You know, the financial profession has an entire risk management specialty in it, uh, whether it's in, in banking or lending or um, funds managers. I mean, it's they they have lots of analytical processes to assess and categorize risk and then use that risk information. And, HUD, I, you know, because it's largely it's a it's a financial institution, um, it they it seemed like it seemed like that that background really helped push their uh, their overall programs across multiple components forward. Yeah, and uh, and again, like the other two, I mean, we had, I mean, HUD's I, OIG has their own ERM program. We had Jonelle on here, um, mm-hmm. and they also, uh, one of our podcasts was uh, a referral from Larry. He's working with somebody uh, with Data Analytics, Episode 17, uh, Brian Jones, and that was a great one too because, yeah, right. I mean, they're really embracing – what they're calling decision analytics. So, you know, you take your all the data analytic tools that you have. You don't have to go out and buy new ones necessarily, but take what you have, come up with your strategy, integrate your risks that you really want to get real data for, and then you can make decisions on Evidence real based data. decision making. Yeah, right? exactly. It, the, the, the registers and the approach and analysis provides information for decision makers because information yeah. – for information's sake, it's right back to the enterprise list management. Yeah. So he wants real yeah. data to make decisions. I think I think those those four podcasts, listen to them all, all together, you'll really get a great feel for what HUD is doing. So I like that. I think those were some great podcasts. Paul, what's one of your favorites? Well, let's see here. Um, you know, we had I had a couple that were sort of. I, I think Tal was not on these. So that's probably why they were my favorite. No, <laughs> um, no, actually, uh, some really interesting ones. I talked to a gentleman. His name was Vlad Antikarov. He's actually uh, he's one of the directors for Premia. It's the Professional Risk Managers Episode International. Twenty six. Yeah, the International Association. And I guess his background was sort of in finance world. So he brought in the idea of doing real options analysis and uh, kind of pulling that into your ERM decision-making. So I thought that was really cool because, you know, I mean, I I think from the beginning when I first got involved with risk management, it all felt very kind of, I don't know, I hate to say, but kind of loosey-goosey, like where's the hard analysis? It's more like I feel like this is a risk. Maybe that's a risk. You know, I'm a a numbers guy, so I wanted to see, give me a real analysis with some hard numbers, some trying to do some predictive things, and he really brought some great ideas from the finance world. I mean, that's what they do options and futures and you know all stocks are valued at their net present value based on the future performance blah 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 right so why why don't we use that same approach for risk management you know in in an mba course where they had 
quantitative decision making. They, mm-hmm. you know, define your options, define the positive outcome in, t- in some sort of terms where one one option can be compared to the other in the positive outcomes, mm-hmm. and then use uh, the risk analysis to determine what is the probability of that outcome, such that then you end up multiplying the you know the probability of the benefit. Yeah. Uh, to determine the likely ben- net benefit to compare the options across, and this yeah. sounds like exactly where he was going from. Yep. And you know, and now almost all of our federal programs, if you get to the CBJ and through the strategic planning, there's always the benefits. And I think, like in a federal workplace, that's probably something that people have a lot of problem with. Like I, I used to work at an agency and was a multi mission. And uh, they had like 11 missions in the CBJ in their CBJ presentation. You ask them which one is most important, and uh, it, inside the building, you know, everybody knew which one was you know the top three and the bottom mm-hmm. three and what hit the middle. But in terms of having that discussion, it's it's hard it's hard to say what benefit is worth more than a different benefit because then that means sometimes some programs mm-hmm. in terms of their out, their output are more beneficial than others. And politically, it's an issue. And then even inside your building, it's it's an issue. However, if you don't make decisions that way, then the question is, what kind of decision-making process do you have? And, yeah. and how is ERM and that kind of risk information beneficial? And probably the answer will be not so much. Hmm. Well, you know, and then, you know, way government works, I mean, so many of these major programs, they may be one agency, but they have like, you know, 10 major programs. All, I mean, they even have their own appropriations, their own money. So it's, you know, you can still prioritize them and figure out the biggest risks in there so yeah um and then just yeah the other thing i liked about it was he was talking about the cost benefit equation so i mean again how much money are we going to spend to you know to to, to try to avoid this risk so that was one of my favorites right how about another one for you um i'd have to say the usaid um risk chat which is number 19 it they they had a you know, one of the more purposeful, clear, specific risk appetite statements that uh, I think we've run into, mm-hmm. and uh, it was definitely a top down uh, effort, and it was a specific effort to use the risk appetite statement to change culture within the organization. And I, in terms of of folks getting their arms around risk appetite statements, I think like the last year. Uh, a firm and guidehouse uh, survey pointed out risk appetite statements where people are lagging. And in working with, you know, working in the community, a lot of people say, I don't, you know, we don't really have one. We're kind of working on it. But it's the lack of vision for what it's for mm-hmm. and how the risk appetite statement is somewhat of the Rosetta Stone for integration of performance management and strategic management and risk management into uh, the decision-making process, because that's where the decisions are made. What are our strategies? What are we going to work for? And uh, how much resources are we going to allocate to each one of those? And their use of the risk appetite statement to begin time together, and then to specifically uh, note that they wanted managers within the organization to to take more opportunity uh Decisions, meaning high risk areas, where even though even though they they had a lot of tried and true mechanisms to to implement their their programs in developing countries, that they had a lot of opportunity programs that weren't hadn't been tried or yet or weren't tried often or with significant amounts, even though there was great uh, opportunity that they thought could be could be used to gain 
benefits towards the mission, but people were were um, they were not yet favorites. Let's say. Yeah. No. I mean, I I just love that it was a very clear document, very easy to read. It's not over overly complicated, complex. It's straightforward. You know, these are our goals. These are where we assess. You know, we have this tolerance on that and that tolerance on the other. It just makes it clear and easy guidance for their for their folks to to follow. And at that point, when you get to strategic management, it allows them to say these strategies are acceptable strategies in aligned with the leadership's risk tolerance. These yeah. strategies would not be right. And uh, and then that leads them to performance setting where they're encouraged to set higher performance goals because there's if there's a higher risk tolerance then they accept greater variability in the performance from the goal but setting those goals leads to the planning and the resource allocations to those uh you know to those management processes and it's it's yeah that risk app the way they had the risk appetite out there the way they were making it public uh, not yeah. only did, were they widely using it as a talking point across the organization, referring back to it, but they stick it out. They stick it out on their public-facing website, which folks should be able to do. Yeah, and another one, OCC. That was uh, episode thirty-two. They also have a um, publicly available risk appetite statement. That was a cool podcast too. So check that one out. Yeah, and and if you're looking through, you can you see the the bolded blue that that'll be links. It'll actually take you right yep. to those documents too. Yep. But yeah, I just thought, yeah, it was just so well done, and uh, it was a great example for the other 80% of the federal government who are still wrestling with getting a risk appetite statement out there in 2020 to look at it and consider it and then consider how does this help integrate our strategic performance management, resource management, and the culture, management culture, not, not, what, to, not what to think, but how to think about getting business done. Yeah, and again, that's another thing that made the HUD one really great. They talked about that, you know, putting all that together as well. And actually, the VA one, go check that one out. That was very interesting. They they tie all of that together: strategy, budget, planning, risk. It's pretty pretty good stuff. So uh, here's another one where Tal was absent for some reason, but um, <laughs> so we had a phone call with um with uh, the King County uh, Jennifer Hills from out in King County. That's out in uh, Seattle. So. Um, yeah, I really like this one for a couple of reasons. Um, you know, it's a good example of a state and local, a county kind of a, a ERM approach. But what really struck me was that they're really focused on taking risks and or, you know, taking advantage of opportunities. Um, and that's a lot of what their program is 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 kind of structured to let them do. Um, they even have a um, contingency fund, you know, that's specifically money uh to to take on risk you know potentially risky ventures for the benefit of the of the the county so that was really interesting um you know i'd go listen to that one again and i think that's a great example that a lot of folks should take i mean you know risk management is not just about the risk it's about the opportunity sad i'm just feeling sad right now all right i was on i was on that i was on that risk chat you were? I'm pretty sure that i can i remember talking about it but the the idea here is is that it's portfolio management. They're taking a look at the different risk profiles and the benefits of each of those options and using the ERM as decision-making of where to put their emphasis, where to put the resources, uh, where to push for more for uh, more performance progress. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I thought that was great. Again, I mean, let's, let's take advantage of uh, risk management to – to go out there and, and do something a little scary sometimes. Yeah, I think one of the one of the great euphemisms we had during one of our 
risk chats is not all risk is risky. <laughs> and that uh, the idea of our risk is is to put a lens, a lens on the probability and the benefits, not just the probabilities and the pitfalls. Because mm-hmm. uh, a lot of times, uh, you know, all right, so we're in, we're in federal agencies, and a lot of times our portfolio isn't going to change. We're not going to stop doing a mission, but the portfolio has options of how do we do the mission. And many times, especially like I think this was UA, USAID's, uh, real opportunity is they had like 20 different legislative authorities to get their mission done, and they were only using two about 90% of the time. Hmm. And so they wanted to they wanted to broaden out the portfolio. Uh, so they weren't changing the mission, but they were changing how to do the mission. I think uh, I think that King County was I think that's that's a lot where they were going to is using ERM to shape the portfolio to improve performance by by assessing and taking opportunities right. getting away from the tied down bureaucratic status quo framework where what are we going to do we're going to do what we did last year <laughs> so what was number three for you tal um the pbgc bob westbrook the uh the ig and uh it was good i i enjoyed hearing uh his perspective on not only what they're doing within the IG's office, because an IG's office is a risk management office. They come up with their with their high risk for their uh, attendant agency and decide why it's high risk. Um, they do the analysis uh, across the agency on, on the different categories of risk. Mm-hmm. And uh, his, his perspective on both what he does within his IG office and then what he does uh, within the organization was uh, it was very informative. Also, he was working with the SIGI group, the Council on Inspector yep. General Integrity and Ethics, to put together a guide for how to assess mm-hmm. an agency's ERM program. That is now posted. We don't have a link on our wrist chat, but that's it's a great it's a great reference. And he talked about how they work to put that together because uh, it's it's a it's a nice yardstick to use with agencies to consider uh, their implementation against against both standards and criteria to to help them assess maturity. And, and in particular, what are the next steps in maturity in our program to get more benefits, value for the agency through the ERM initiative? Yeah, and I was, uh, you know, very impressed and surprised. Um, you know, he's just very involved in – I mean, he, he was writing white papers for the agency to take under consideration, you know – even just, I think one of his white papers was for the, that recommended agency needed to have a chief risk officer. Um, you know, white papers on things that they really need to focus on. Um, he would do audits that are, you know, kind of like quick turnaround letters to say, hey, this is an area we think is risky. You guys should think about it before you know, a full audit is conducted. So, again, just a great, a great example of an IG that's very proactive working with, you know, the agency to really – promote the benefits of ERM and how that relationship, the IG relationship is not, can be very productive for management and yeah. getting away from an oppositional yeah. approach, but an engaged uh, approach mm-hmm. that helps management assess, identify, assess, prioritize and respond to risk, which was great. He was, it's, it's, you know, the IG remains independent and unbiased, but yet engaged and supporting management that way. Absolutely. 
How about you, Paul? What's one? What's your third? All right, number three. So uh, I really like the one with uh, Sim Seagal, episode twenty. It was National Risk Management. So what this is all about was um, he wrote a paper um, about basically why federal governments or just governments throughout the world actually should consider having a national risk officer and a national risk management program. And it seemed like a no-brainer to me. Like, why hasn't anybody else thought of this at this point? You know, so and he gave some good examples from Canada um, and other and other uh, governments. And the other thing I really liked about uh, talking with him is he actually gave us a copy of the paper related to that. And it's mm-hmm. just, I mean, that paper is a great, clear way of just how to set up an ERM program A to Z. I just think it's a very nice. You know, there's a lot of great guidance out there. Um, you know, but I mean, this paper to me. Anybody could take it and set up their own program and and really you know touch on the things that need to be done. So I just thought it was a great educational kind of podcast. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. yeah. So and again, you know, yeah, just that notion of an actual person at the federal level, kind of like the czar, I guess, ERM czar. Right. I, mean, I mean, it seems like something we could we could definitely use, especially you know we got a crisis going on right now. You know, so there's there's definitely these things that pop up a lot. That I mean, if we had somebody at the national level, that'd be really beneficial. So where do we go from here? 30 yeah. plus risk chats. Yeah. Well, a couple of things. Uh, I mean, there's like a wish, uh, sort of a wish list. I mean, a couple of folks that we'd still like to talk to, of course. And, uh, I mean, I know we had, we had talked before we turn on the mics. I think GAO, we'd be very interested in talking to GAO, right? Absolutely. I mean, if they're, if they're coming up with a high risk list every year, they're the ones who develop standards for uh, the internal control, which is really ERM uh, control standards. Um, I'd, love, I'd love to hear from them how they implement their own ERM process, because where are they implying it? They're implying it over the entire federal government. Yeah. And it, you want to talk about a different slice of pie. I mean, we deal with it at the component or the operational level or the agency level, and boom. I mean, that's that would be big. I'd enjoy hearing how they do that. Yeah, and also their approach to audit, right? Like, how would you audit an ERM program? I think that's something that either we're working on or maybe the SIGI was part of that too. But I know that GAO has some guidance that they were working on for that as well. So, Um, How about OMB? Yeah. All right, OMB, where are you? Come on. Come on the podcast. (laughs) Yeah, we'll have to reach out. And uh, and for those who are listening to the Risk Chat, uh, we'd like to hear who would you recommend we have on. Mm -hmm. Uh, Paul, how do they email us? You know, I, I have no idea. <laughs> no, I mean, I think for now there's a the basic affirm.org email address. I have to pull it out. Maybe I'll dub that in after this. I don't remember. But, yeah, we want to well, put something. We'll put a link on Yeah, it. we'll put a link. Yeah, because on this podcast we'll put a link to how you guys can get a hold of us. Um, that's something Use we, subject line wrist chats. That's right. Yep, yep. Because um, we definitely want to hear from you. You know, what, are you, what do you like? What do you not find as interesting? Um, so we can make these things beneficial to you. Um and actually, yeah, so we'll put that link up. And one more wish list thing I had on here, I, and I do plan on having some podcasts with uh, universities for a couple of reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, right. One is, you know, a lot of actual institutions of higher learning are actually implementing their own ERM programs. So it's just an interesting parallel to the federal or the state and local just to see what are they doing. Um, but also, I'd love to hear from some professors, universities, you know, courses in risk management. What are some recommendations what are they teaching what are the syllabus objectives yeah that'd be interesting i think maybe we should probably get rims uh now that they have their federal course too to come on and talk about the certification what people would gain out of it 
uh, you know, how much, how much material it is. I know they, I was actually signed up for that certification course in March, then April, and now maybe May or June when they, (laughs) when they figure out a new date. But, uh, I found, uh, I found that, uh, you know, the, the more we get in and have a systematized approach where folks share a lexicon and a, and a framework, to operate from the other, the the more that comes together, then the better the program is. Very much like CIO and CFO professionalization, all relied on the standardization of these key processes. So yeah, and a reminder: episode three was about the certification. Although it's been a while, so yeah, maybe a nice refresher on that. Well, I think uh, yeah, this covered a lot here. I mean, again, I'd encourage everybody go to the website. I mean, again, I think. Not quite yet, but very soon you're going to be able to go to iTunes and download these um, right on your phone. So, yeah, we're looking forward to many more years of uh, wrist chats to come here. So any last words, Tal? What you got? Yeah, we'd like to hear from you. Uh, it's uh, When you're talking into the microphone, we, we, we understand people actually listen to these. But uh, <laughs> we'd like to hear what your thoughts are. Uh, once again, just like Paul and I did, what do you like about wrist chats? What don't you like about wrist chats? And then who would you like... Who would you like to have on here or what topics would you like to have addressed? Because this uh, purpose of the podcast is to support the community, get conversations going, to share, and to be an encouragement to the ongoing development and professionalization of uh, the federal CRO programs. Absolutely. Well, and as a little final treat, I'm actually going to play the full podcast jingle at the end of this. I think it's a cool little piece of music I wrote, so hopefully you guys can enjoy the whole thing unfettered with my voice over there. So We call the song $6 Cup of Coffee. <laughs> That's right. All right, well, thanks, everybody, and uh, be safe out there, and we'll be talking again soon. That's our show. As promised, here's the full jingle so you guys can enjoy. And we'll hope to be speaking with you guys again soon here on Wrist Chats with the Firm. Mm-hmm.